there's men that I've I've met, I've talked to, I know that take pride in the fact that they don't have a lot of connection in their life. Oh yeah, I'm a lone wolf. I don't need anybody. You know, I just do my own thing. Um, and it sounds cool, the lone wolf, right? Like the image of it is like the rogue, powerful wolf just doing his own thing, totally free. Um, but you know, an important thing to note is in the actual <laughs> wilderness, a wolf that is alone is one that was ostracized from this community and they don't do well. are up, which means that I think we have a bunch of new listeners right now. So I wanted to go through a few things real quick. First, you'll hear me talk about my sex research during this episode and also my streaming course, Please Her in Bed. If you're interested in that, you can go to pleaseherinbed.com. It is a streaming course based on my sex research of over a thousand women about what makes a man great in bed. But it's not just about body parts. It's really about how you can lead as a man in sexual contexts and how you can invite her forward, how to talk about sex in a meaningful way that feels playful and welcoming and helpful to her in terms of getting getting her to open up and helping support her in that. If that's interesting to you, you can use the code DEARMEN, all one word, for podcast listeners. That is a discount taking the course from $97 to $69. So that's fun. Second thing is, I am a coach for men in relationships and in sex and dating. And we work with about um, three different kinds of men. So We really work with any men, but I just wanted to go over briefly the kinds of men who tend to show up for our work and who we work with best. So I coach alongside my co-coach, Jason Lang, who you've heard on the podcast several times. He's on a lot. Um, And we basically work with, um, yeah, men that are sort of fall into three categories. The first is men in their 20s and 30s who have sex with women, but have never really figured out women and have never had a lot of success in dating or relationships. We also work with a second category of men who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and up who have been in a bad relationship or are in a challenging relationship now and trying to evaluate whether it's going to work or they're divorced or divorcing and they know that they don't want to repeat the patterns of that relationship in the future. They know they want to work on themselves so that they attract healthier partners in the future. And then the third category we work with are men that are in relationship and want more. They're craving more with either their wife or their long-term partner. They just know that more intimacy is possible, more sexual connection, more closeness. They just know that that they they want to grow. They want to grow and they know that it will serve the relationship to do so. So those are the men we work with. If you are interested in coaching, you can always go to evolutionary.men slash training to go deeper than the podcast and take our free training. Or if you know that you're already ready to get started, you can go to evolutionary.men slash apply. So without further ado, we will get into the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. This is a little bit more of a serious episode, but one I've been thinking about for a long time now, and I think a yeah, pretty, pretty up topic for a lot of people. Um, we're talking about loneliness today, loneliness and connection. And um, I don't know 
how many of you know this, but the Surgeon General of the United States recently came out with a plan to help address the loneliness epidemic because of all of the health risks associated with it. And that's something that we're going to get into. So welcome back to the podcast, Jason. Really good to have you. I feel like you're you're very popular. People are like, I love the Jason episodes. (laughs) So thanks for being who you are. So yeah, I guess I just wanted to start out by talking a little bit about loneliness as as an experience. Um, It is a, I think that it's it's often a hidden hidden experience, right? That a lot of us are having and not a lot of us are talking about. It's not very popular to talk about. And I kind of wanted to ground us first with some statistics about specifically about men and loneliness. So according to the Department of Health and Human Services, 44% of males aged 18 and over said they feel lonely all the time. 44%, that's almost half. 15% of men say they have no close relationships or friendships at all. 15%, that's actually more than one in 10 men. And um, 39% of men living alone experience chronic loneliness. So I was talking to a client the other day who actually does have close relationships in his life, but he lives alone and he works from home. So when you look at the pie chart of his day, the vast majority of his day is spent alone, not seeing anyone, talking to anyone. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm talking about face-to-face experience, human interaction in the real world. So I think one of the things that can feel confusing is if you do have connection, but it's over Zoom or over if you're chatting with your team on, if you're chatting with your team on Teams or Slack or whatever intranet you have, you do have some connection, but it's not face-to-face connection. It's not, it's not human connection in the sense of, being in the same room as people. And so one of the things that can happen is you have connection during your work day and then all of a sudden it's evening and you sign off and there's a drop, right? There's just a drop in, in energy or attention. And that experience of loneliness might not register as loneliness, right? Sometimes you're aware that you're lonely and that's an experience you're having, but a lot of the time you're not. And so I wanted to quickly point out that the way loneliness can show up can be things like trouble concentrating, not being able to get as much done as you think that you should, um, depression or anxiety or both, um, and addiction, addiction to porn and masturbation, video games, substances like weed or alcohol, food, um, I think a lot of us beat ourselves up that we don't have better habits or we're not able to complete this ridiculous task list that we give ourselves like this insane to-do list. And in actuality, lack of connection, right? Not feeling connected and feeling lonely often exacerbates everything else, but you don't realize you're you're lonely, right? You're reaching for the bag of chips or you're reaching for the video game or you're you're reaching for weed because maybe you think I'm bored or wh- whatever it is when underneath there's this undercurrent. And that's kind of what I wanted to point point out today is just 
loneliness could be a major factor in whatever's going on for you. And, and I wanted to, yeah, just shed some light, bring some light. And we're also going to talk about concrete steps to bring more connection into your life as a man. And again, this episode is focused on people who identify as men, but really this is a universal issue. Although I will say after looking at the social science, there's a distinct, um, loneliness is worse for men in our culture. I think because of the patriarchy and how much men are discouraged in terms of connecting with each other and how, and just the homophobia that we, that we swim in the water that we swim in, there is loneliness is generally worse for men. So if you're a man having that experience, you're not alone, even though you feel deeply alone, you're actually not alone, (laughs) ironically. Um, And it is something to address. It's really important to address because specifically with respect to the health outcomes, you are significantly more likely to have poor health when you're lonely. So adding connection into your life is just as important, arguably more important than things like diet and exercise. So I'm just going to read a few statistics here. This is also from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Um, Loneliness leads to a 29% increase in heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, 50% increased risk of developing dementia, and lack of social connection increases risk of premature death by more than 60%. So disconnection, isolation, and loneliness affect mental health and physical health. And again, I think that this is something we sort of think of as like a soft topic. I'm putting that in quotes, right? Oh, it's, you know, I'm just lonely. Like it's just loneliness. It's, it's like, no, this is a major part of health. This is something that needs to be addressed proactively individually and collectively us as a culture, which is why the Surgeon General now has a plan to address loneliness specifically because it's such a major factor in modern life, especially post-pandemic, especially given how much less contact we've gotten used to having. And that has been kind of established, especially in the work world, you know, the gig economy, the rise of the gig economy and everything, it's we're we're having less and less contact, right? Grocery delivery, everything that we have modern convenience-wise can contribute to loneliness. And we have a lot of um, ways we can address it, which we're going to get into, but I just wanted to sort of step the stage for, for this discussion. Yeah, it's a real thing. And, um, you know, three years, we're recording this about a little over three years after COVID, you know, there's a, I think it, there's an easy, there's kind of an easy way out where we say, oh, it's because of COVID, this is all happening, but I don't think it is. I think COVID just accelerated and really, um, highlighted some patterns that were already emerging that, you know, you and I got to see firsthand, you know, we, we, we kept doing our work, you know, a lot of the work we do is virtual with guys. And, you know, uh, during that time, there were men working with us that if they weren't on a call with us, you know, they didn't really have anyone to connect with. And that was, that was an intense time. I think particularly for single men um, that many are still trying to recover from. And so there's that. And I also just wanted to highlight another thing I've noticed working from with men is it's also possible to be quite lonely, even though you're surrounded by people or in relationship. So I think particularly with men and the culture of how men by default often relate, it can be very surfacey. 
It can be just about the sports game. It can be just about cars, you know, whatever I'm using stereotypes for me, it'd be about nerdy stuff. It'd be about movies and stuff like, which, you know, it's something to talk about, but it doesn't necessarily feed the deeper need of human to human contact in a way. So I really just want to also point that out for some, for some of you men, you might be like, Oh, I see people every day. Um, but that doesn't mean you're quite getting your connection needs met. And I think that's a really important thing. I just want to highlight there, you know, we've worked with men who are lonely in their marriage, right? Who are have a partner, but they're still lonely because there's, there's some kind of connection not happening there. And this is just getting more intense by the, by the year, you know, that we, we are in the midst of a, a massive reorganization of our culture and how things are laid out. And where, where you and I live here in the United States, we were already a pretty hyper individualized country. Like most American values have to do with being an individual, being on your own and being private. Things are better when they're private. We want to get a big house that's far away from everyone. That's private. It's all about, we spend a lot of our times in our cars. It's private. Like the, the default wiring for our country has already been kind of privacy. And it's just, it's accelerating right now, you know, I would say in all kinds of ways with the eradication of so many public and community spaces that just don't exist. I mean, and the suburban suburbanization of the country as well, right? Which when you think about it, it's like everybody's in their own island and you can go days, you know, without actually having to interact with anyone in any meaningful way um, or having any kind of serendipitous interaction or, or meeting. So point out, you know, I could rail about that forever about some of the structural issues, but that there's a lot going against us, uh, men in particular. We have the culture of manhood and what that believes. We have just the organization of this country. And then we have the smartphone, which is like, makes you think you're getting connection, but it's really empty calories most of the time, right? Browsing social media doesn't really do the good things for our nervous system that being face-to-face with another human being or being in the same room with another human being uh, often, often do. Yeah. And I think the, the felt sense, the experience of loneliness is, I I just want to paint a few pictures. So one of my um, guy friends lives alone and works from home. And he has, I'd say like a decent job that he's, he's okay with. He's not in love with it, but it's a decent job. And he likes his coworkers fine. But to your point, a lot of the interactions that he has with them are surface level. So there are interactions, but they're not deep and they don't feel deeply connected. And then he logs off. And for him, He said, I don't get the Sunday night scaries. I get the Friday night funk. Like I log off at five or six or whenever. And then I'm kind of like, okay, I guess I'm going to make dinner by myself and watch something by myself. And I think that's just the, yeah, that, that felt sense of, of loneliness um, is, is just blah. (laughs) Like there's a sense of blah. And um, I'm, I appreciate what you said about loneliness in connection, right? It can be lonely to be in relationship as well. You can be, you can be lonely in a relationship. You can be lonely in a family. You can be lonely anywhere. And I think as 
a single person myself who's spent a, much of my adult life not partnered, I would also give a kind of special shout out. I see you. I see you single people, single men who are having that experience of maybe the Friday night funk or, you know, just not having connection in your physical environment, right? Having to seek it out, right? It's not there. I guess I just want to say, I, I see you and um, I feel you. I feel, I feel that. And they think that there's um, a lot to be done about it. Like I keep saying, we'll get into that, but I guess I just wanted to say that I, I understand. I understand that experience and it's real and it's um, doesn't have to stay that way. Yeah. And there's, so there's another thing I've, I've kind of talked about in some of my work before, which I do want to highlight here. And I call it the myth of the lone wolf. And so this is where some of masculine men's culture can, can really kind of make this worse. And there's men that I've, I've met, I've talked to, I know that take pride in the fact that they don't have a lot of connection in their life. Oh yeah. I'm a lone wolf. I don't need anybody. You know, I just do my own thing. Um, and it sounds cool. The lone wolf, right? Like the image of it is like the rogue, powerful wolf, just doing his own thing, totally free. Um, but you know, an important thing to note is in the actual <laughs> wilderness, a wolf that is alone is one that was ostracized from this community and they don't do well. They die faster. They die right? a so, lot faster. Yeah. The lone wolf is not the sign of success in wolf culture, it's actually the sign of something went wrong. The community said, you know what, we, we can't have you here anymore. And that makes it a lot harder for that wolf to survive. Um, and I think the same is true uh, uh, of us human beings as well, right? We love the American cowboy ideal of the rugged individual who just lives in, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And for some guys, yes, there's a very you know, certain percentage of men who that's their disposition. They just don't like people uh, or whatever. But for most men, we need connection. We need connection just as much as anyone else. Our connection might not look like other people's connection necessarily, but we, we do need it. And I have seen, just having led this work for a long time, men's lives tend to get better almost universally the more they get connected, the more they they emerge out of that loneliness and have a few people that they can really drop in with. And this doesn't mean you have to have like a huge social circle. I'm talking just a couple of people who really get you, who you can go deep with, who you spend time with. It's, it's a game changer and it really can change um, so much in a man's life. And, you know, I, I also just want to make sure to get this in there because there's all the health costs you talked about. But one of the other major things we've seen that definitely happens in the relational world is there's often a cost lonely men will get into intimate relationships and stay in them more often that aren't actually good for them. They, they will um, settle for a partner who maybe isn't quite right for them or stay in something that's emotionally, physically abusive, or sometimes even just flat. Men will get into relationships and stay in them. I'm talking like a long time sometimes because of this fear of loneliness, the sense of, well, without this person, I, I got nothing. 
And that's been one of the big things we've seen over and over again that is so liberating and powerful about some of the stuff we'll talk about later on is not only does it impact your health and your well-being, but it allows men to be a little pickier with their relationships and to get out of something if it's not working and not have that fear of, well, if not this, then nothing, right? So I'm going to stay with, you know, it's better to have a little bit of bad poison than nothing at all, you know? Uh, which isn't the case when you when you have other healthy connection around you in life. Yeah, thanks for speaking to that. That feels important because it does feel like choice goes up, right? When you're more connected, choice goes up. And a lot of the time, um, this is still true, right? Many people are meeting on the apps and dating through through that, but people are still meeting in real life. And a lot of those people are meeting through their social connections. They're meeting through the people that they are socializing with. And, you know, back to the health thing for a minute, I just, I really want to shift the, the topic of health from food and exercise to food, exercise, and social connection. These are the three pillars, food, exercise, social connection. How much social connection are you getting? Are you getting enough almost like vitamin D. It's a, it's a big part of life. It needs to be part of our mindset, our world in your day. Have I gotten enough social connection today? Particularly if you don't cohabitate with other humans, if you don't live with people, if you're one of the people who's living alone, I think it's really important. And, you know, yeah, to your point, just the, the, um, willingness to tolerate misery (laughs) goes up when you're lonely. (laughs) So you know, if if you have more connection in your life, then you're going to feel safer to make better decisions for yourself, better choices. And as I was prepping for this episode, I think I just wanted to give another shout out to divorced men. You know, I see you, if you had a, a, a family unit and that structure needed to shift. So if you got your own apartment, you got your own place, you moved out or you're, co- you're co-parenting with someone, or maybe she moved out, but you're not, you're no longer, you no longer have that structure. I can't tell you the number of men that we've worked with who, um, you know, on the weekends that they don't have their kids or the weeks that they don't have their kids or their, that structure is missing. They're, they're kind of beating themselves up. Like I didn't get enough done this week, or I just, I couldn't pull it together. It's like, yeah, cause you were lonely. Like give yourself compassion for, we weren't meant to live and be alone all the time. So loneliness is a real thing. It really does impact our whole body, mind, or your brain, your everything. So just know that you, you are having a real experience. You are not just not doing it right or not doing enough or all of those, like, let's let go of those stories because this is such a big part of, of life. We were meant to live within a social fabric. You know, your point about the structures is, is, is actually a really big deal. and you know, the people that are close to me in my life know that I'm really passionate about co-living and finding new structures and ways of cohabitating that are healthy and can include more people so that it we don't just have this binary, I live alone, or I'm doing the nuclear family thing in the suburbs. Those are perfectly legitimate choices, but they're very limited. There are a whole bunch of folks that don't fit into either of those or it's not the healthiest structure for them for a bunch of reasons. So I want there to be more structures that are more inclusive and, and we'll kind of get into that. Um, something I did want to, um, 
Yeah, something I did want to come back to was that that the man box, right? That I the idea what you just laid out about the you know the the man box of I should be uh, what is it like the Marlboro man or whatever like the rugged the, cowboy lone wolf yeah, the white yeah. guy on a horse with a Stetson or that's a, the hat right or is that a cigarette yeah, yeah. no that's a hat <laughs> the hat um, and how incredibly pervasive that is and just tenacious right that idea is so tenacious and it's reinforced in movies and TV and just it's not it's not healthy. It's unhealthy. And it's held up as an ideal. And it's, it's not, it's not healthy. So um, I'm wondering if you can, can just share a little bit from your own personal experience um, of, of that kind of, you know, being in the man box and then kind of breaking out of the man box and how that affected your levels of connection, just to make sure we cover that. Because I really do feel like if I were a man, I would feel like, I should quote unquote should be strong enough or like, like I'd have some language around. I should be strong enough to handle this. Yeah. I would say for me, um, I'm maybe a little atypical in that I did get lucky. I had a lot of male connection very early. Um, you know, I think, oh uh, yeah, I, let's see, how did it go? I went to junior high somewhere and I went to a different high school than like all the people I'd been in elementary school and junior high with. So that was the first time I'd ever like had to rebuild a, a social network, so to speak. And it took me like nine months of my first year, but then I kind of found some nerdy guys and played games and, you know, had that and um, had that in high school in a pretty powerful way that, I, you know, I had guys and, you know, we didn't quite know how to go deep exactly then yet. Cause no one had really modeled us for that, but, you know, we'd sit around a fire and, it was a more intimate space. Like I, I definitely had that. Um, what I, what I'll say is where the man box got me was, you know, even through my twenties, then as I was continually surrounded by incredible men who uh, had a lot to offer me more than I was actually often willing to receive, if that makes sense, or able to receive, it might be more likely um, would be for me, it was, you know, my virginity. It was like, didn't talk to that about that to any men. I kept that just locked down because that's not not a vulnerable place I wanted to go or felt so much shame about, which in hindsight was so stupid because <laughs> it just made uh, an already hard situation even harder because um, it became like an, an avoidant thing. Um, and so for me, I, I've always had a baseline you know, layer of connection with men. It doesn't mean there aren't times I've gotten lonely though, for specifically as someone who was a late bloomer and didn't have uh, intimate relationships. Like I really felt that, right? I felt that type thing because, you know, now things are a little different, even with my male friends where I'm way more open to touch and kind of roughhousing and just getting some of that connection made. Um, But that took a while, you know, to even get there. So initially, you know, I wasn't getting any touch at all because I wasn't comfortable touching other men or being touched by other men. I didn't have an intimate partner and that had massive impact on my well-being in 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 my um state of mind. And I've I think I've told this story before but I'll just recount it like yeah you know, what did your friend say the Friday night gloom or something like that. For me it was Saturday morning. That was the time that just trashed me because I had this baseline layer of friends. And you know, Friday, Saturday night, you like go out. People are social. They're doing things, right? They're in the world. And even if I was like the only single guy in the group, I could join those things, right? A lot of times. But Saturday morning was the time I would just wake up 
And I'd be like, what the fuck do people do right now? Like, I have no idea what to do. And I would just sit there kind of alone at home. You know, maybe if I was in a particularly high energy mood, I could get myself outside to go for a hike or whatever. But the thing about loneliness that I experienced in, in my different times is it, 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 it kind of eats itself. So like when, when we're feeling lonely, our gaze kind of turns inward or certainly did for me. And it made me not want to go out and like made it harder to like get out into the world. If I was going to have to like self-initiate all that to some extent, or even if I kind of got invited to a party, you know, I'd be in that like, and it's just like, I don't want to go to a party and it's going to feel awkward. Um, So it, it was a complex thing for me and, you know, uh, shifting that, you know, as I got into relationships, that certainly helped. And then, you know, the thing I've talked about to the end of time is men's groups, as I got into men's groups and really got a solid group of guys who we didn't just hang out with each other, but we went deep. So I could start to reveal some of this vulnerable stuff. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, but it's, it's definitely there. And I think I got, you know, I got away lucky, I think, in some sense, because I did have this kind of foundational connection with men that kind of got me through some tough times. Had I not had that, like I can literally pinpoint, you know, had I not sat a certain place in my freshman chemistry (laughs) and this dude in front of me, you know, who I met and became a great friend, like had I not got in with him, who was already in with a bunch of friends, my whole life could have been very different. Cause I could, it would have been so easy to just go a couple more years and that more withdrawn on the computer kind of state. Um, and you know, who knows honestly what, where that would have led me, but I, I got lucky in a, in a lot of ways. And I still had to fight against just some of the culture uh, of masculinity that, uh, even in the healthiest versions of it, I, you know, was still sticking to me, so to speak. Yeah. There's several things that you said I wanted to come back to. One was that shift from being in school your whole life to not being in school. So for for those of us privileged enough to go to college, a four-year college, there are a lot of us in the world who from a young age to 21, 22, had human beings around in school. And there were there were opportunities to make friends. There were places, there was a, a gathering place every day that you went to. And many of us lost that in our twenties. And then there's a period of time in your twenties when a lot of other people are doing the same kind of thing that you're young, you're going out, you're, you're, you're socializing together regularly, right. All the time. And then there's a bifurcation point where a lot of people get married and start having families that, that point in time, that age is, is extending right with the millennial generation. People are getting married and having children later and later, but at some point in your twenties or thirties, or even late thirties, but at some point there, there is a shift that happens. And for those that stay single on that, aren't partnered, that don't do the bio family thing, such as myself, we have to learn to make new friends. And that's not something we talk about a lot as adults is there is a distinct shift between our existence when we're young. And then this, this, because of the way, because of the way society is structured, because of literally the housing, things like that, Friends go off and they get married and start a family and they're a whole lot less available and they're exhausted. They are tired. They are sleep deprived. They are doing their very best to, to, to manage life 
with a child or children. So they have a whole world going on. And then we are sort of over here kind of lonely. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not saying that married folks aren't lonely, but there, there is a, there is a conversation to be had. And this is included here around singlehood and, and being a single unpartnered person versus partner partnerhood. And I think that it is a lot easier to get lonely and disconnected and isolated without that sort of family structure unit. Because again, in our culture, we don't have a lot of other models for what else there is. And this is random. I'm just throwing it on, throwing it in there because I think about this topic a lot. But one of the things that used to exist in a lot of cities was boarding houses. So you had places where people often single, mostly single people, actually, I don't think there were a lot of couples in boarding houses would, would live, they would live in a city and there would be a cook and they would have meals. I believe almost every night or at least four or five nights out of, you know, you, you paid for room and board at a boarding house. That's why it was called a boarding house. And people would play cards in the evenings. There was a place that people lived, lived and were fed and, and spent time together and could socialize and you could meet people built in. And that's an an example. If you're wondering when we're talking about structures, that's an example of what I'm talking about in terms of structures of other ways of living. They're just models of how to actually live. Um, In Thailand, they have compounds, family compounds, where four families will live each in in a home facing a courtyard and the courtyard is connected. So you have the families, but you also have the elderly folks and the children all in the same place. They're all in the same place. And so if one person cooks a really big meal, everyone can just cross the courtyard and and get over there. And it's easy. It's proximate. It's geographically close. I think about that all the time in terms of loneliness and connection and structures. And so if you're an auntie or an uncle, if you're an unpartnered person, you're still part of the household and you're deeply connected. You're in there with everyone. You're helping cook or you're helping cleaner you're helping with the kid but you but you don't have to help all the time you also have your own space but it's not this kind of like crossing town or crossing the country you know so many of us in the west live hundreds or thousands of miles from our families of origin or you know aunties or uncles right the, the, there's this geographic separation thing that exacerbates all of what we're talking about um so I wanted to t- touch on that and then the special um sense of loneliness for unpartnered people. Um, You touched on this a little bit. I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit of, you can also have good friends or you can have friends and still have that longing. You can still have that sense of loneliness or longing around um, partnership, around, I want to be in partnership. I want to date. I want to be connected. I want to. So can you speak a little bit to that? Because yeah, there are lots of layers here, and this is just just one more. Yeah, I mean, I think that's there. You know, I have a lot of incredible friends, and they're super deep, and it it's different than an intimate partnership, because you know, other than maybe um, trips or events or workshops or weekends, we do. You know, my time with my friends ends, so there is like the oh, and I have to go back to my bed, and you're going to go back to your bed wherever that is. That's not necessarily the case with an intimate partner, right? The the party doesn't stop, right? You can sleep, you literally sleep together in some ways, in a lot of ways. Um, and that that's a real thing that I was craving, right? And then as I definitely navigated that, um, you know, youth to adult transition, you know, a couple things there, I think, 
it's for a lot of us, it's a little softened by the types of jobs we tend to get out of college or kid jobs, right? Uh, you're working in a restaurant or I was in a group home. Or there's things where there's a lot of kids who aren't established in their um, careers yet. So it kind of keeps a certain gravity of age. So you can still go out or go to a party. Or there's like a scene or whatever that might be. Um, that definitely starts to change, I think, for a lot of people mid-20s and on as they start to get more established in careers. And suddenly it's like your coworkers might be 40 or 50 years old, and it's a whole different energy, right? They got kids, they got families, whatever that might be. So there's not necessarily that built-in community. And uh, you know, I had to really learn to navigate that. And then my friends were just partnering up. So a lot of them would get partnered up. And you know, there just is that feeling of, oh, it's not that I don't want to be here with them, but I'd love to be here with my person with them while they're with their people, right? There's this, like the, I just want the soup to be complete, so to speak. And I, I definitely noticed that. Um, or, you know, I also noticed it a lot when I would travel and, you know, have great experiences and there would just be like, that. oh yeah, I wish I was sharing this with someone, you know, this is an amazing thing. And it'd be even more amazing if someone I cared about was here. Um, and that, that was a real longing. And that, that's, a genuine longing for a lot of men to just have that kind of close person in their life that um, I don't think it gets acknowledged enough because there's this, again, kind of man box image of the guy who doesn't want to commit and just wants to date around. And I could tell you, there are a lot of men that that is not true for. They like want someone, they want someone in their life to go deep with and to be committed with. You know, I was like that. And we know many men like that, that we work with. Um, and that longing, you know, it's real. Yeah. Thank you for speaking to that. Cause I think that that's been my experience with the vast majority of men that I know and that I work with is men need connection. Then they want connection and they're, they're craving it and they have been shamed for that in the past. There's a lot of shame in our culture, the shaming of boys, young boys and tweens and teens is real and it comes from peers it's not just teachers or it's not just authority figures it's peers it's the culture itself so the the other thing that really struck me that i wanted to come back to was loneliness um is related to authenticity and and being able to reveal and feel safe and held in your revealing so i can't tell you the number of men who've come into our program. And, you know, even after just one call, they're like, wow, I didn't know. I I just feel so much less alone. Just listening to the other men share is a revelation. Holy shit. This is a space where I'm going to be safe. This is a space with other men who are safe. And so many boys, I especially feel for boys and young men learn very early not to reveal and not to feel. And, and definitely not to reveal feelings, right? That that's, you know, the ultimate sign of weakness. So they're just holding in years and years of stuff and feeling alone. And I think that you're, I wanted to come back to, you know, your share about being a virgin and not feeling safe to tell your guy friends that. And so you might be with your guy friends having a great time, but there's still a way that you were lonely because you weren't really revealing this major part of your, of your life, of your heart, of what was on your heart, what you were thinking about, what you were feeling about, what you were staying up considering and running scenarios and maybe shaming yourself. You were alone in all of that. 
right? You weren't able to reveal your authentic self. And I think that's something that I've witnessed. And we're going to start to move into sort of solutions for here or ways to bring more connection in. But something I've really, that's really struck me, a pattern that I've witnessed in our men is they'll come into our, our program and they'll start working and getting help and expanding and growing. And what I see is that as they are witnessed in their fuller selves, right, in their selves and accepted by our community and loved, there's a sense of wholeness and there's a sense of, um, what's the word? Like I can almost see their spine straightening up, right? It's like they were a little bit hunched and now they're, they're actually straightening up. Sometimes their eyes actually get brighter, their chest expand over time, not just in one session, but there's a sense of, of vitality, of um, solidity, of comfort. And I'm not just talking about single men. I'm talking about men in partnerships too. I'm thinking specifically about one of our married men in the program now. There's a sense of, of wholeness that comes on and of, of confidence. I'm just going to use the word of confidence, genuine confidence, not, not stupid, not arrogance, but confidence that feels um, really good to be around. And because of that, because of that sort of, they're able to reveal and be held and seen and witnessed in their deepest self, because of that, they're then able to take bigger risks in the world. So what the, so my point, and this is our first, there are three concrete things we came up with in terms of how to bring more connection into your life and how to address loneliness if you're lonely. And the first one is get help get help. So particularly if you're severely lonely, but even if you're mildly lonely, getting help. So bringing in structures of support, sort of, you know, therapy, coaching, personal growth, workshops, you know, just help that kind of help, I think is foundational because to your point, Jason, when you're lonely and you're not resourced, it's, it's almost insulting for someone like me to say, well, just go to some meetups. Like if you're really lonely and you've been chronically lonely for a long time and you've not felt safe to reveal or share or be yourself, you don't have the energy. You don't have the energy. You you can't get just quote unquote, just get yourself out the door because it takes a lot. Of, it takes a lot of effort and it, it's risky, emotionally risky to do that, especially alone, right? It's different if you're going to an event with a friend, but if you're trying something out, taking risks by yourself, that takes a ton of energy. So getting help is the foundation that's underneath everything else that we're going to talk about. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to that, you know, yourself in terms of your own journey, because to me that getting help for you and for a lot of men does start sort of start with men's work. Yeah. And um, I I just want to be bluntly clear on something. There's no shame in paying for help. So the, again, this, this is some of the man box crap will come in of like, well, if I'm paying for it, you know, is it a real relationship? And you just got to let go of all that. Uh, yeah. I paid for therapy. I paid for coaches. Uh, I initially paid to be in a men's group. Uh, I paid to go to workshops. I paid for the structure of someone to help me with this stuff. And oftentimes what we're paying for <laughs> is the structure of relationship right? I pay a therapist. So I know that once a week, I have somewhere to go and be relational with someone, right? They're carving that out of their calendar. There's no shame in that, in my mind. That is something that is a worthy investment that has paid massive dividends in my life, massive dividends. Um, So getting that kind of help, it, it does, it makes it easier, 
right? Because then you also have someone who's tracking you and you can be checking in about these things as you do then continue to expand your horizons, right? I know a lot of guys who, whether it's with us or their therapist, you know, will suggest something and they go try it. And it's a lot easier when you have someone to talk to afterwards about how did it go? Like, what was that experience? Oh, that one sucked. I didn't like that, but I did actually like this thing, you know, and there was one cool person. And then someone's like, well, great job. You know, you got out there. That's like a huge win. Um, That makes a big difference, a big difference. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. It occurs to me too, that this is all connected to stigma around mental health, because it occurs to me that no one has any shame hiring a personal trainer, right? There's something, and and it struck me too, generationally, I really love Ted Lasso. I was watching Ted Lasso and I was struck by the general generational differences between how we view therapy. So therapy is becoming more therapy and personal growth in general are becoming more and more accepted. And there is still a sort of, there's stigma around it. There is still stigma around it, particularly with older generations. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say there isn't a difference between paying for support of this kind and paying for support of this kind, but we have a perception of that. So I appreciate that. And I think that's something that when I look back at my life, I feel very proud of how much money I invested in my own personal health. And when I say personal health, I'm really talking about this, right? Therapy, coaching, personal growth, workshops, like all of this kind of thing. I feel like I front loaded a lot of it. And I feel like it was the best investment I could have made in my future because all of these skills are what leads to healthy relationship. I'm talking about intimate relationship, but friendships also. And when you look at the research, social connection, connection is one of the very best things we can do to keep ourselves healthy for the rest of our lives. So it's not, it's not this floating thing out here in space. It's like, no, getting your house in order, getting help, getting, you know, essentially helping your body mind unwind from trauma from the past is basically the best investment you can make in your health. And it's, it's, it's a found, it's a foundation. So, um, getting help was the first one that we came up with, which is really important. And it's sort of like the base level, this must be in place in order for you to have enough energy and to and to feel safe enough to take some risks. And when I say take some risks, I'm thinking about um, one of our men who joined a salsa community. So started taking salsa dancing lessons. And that was a big stretch for him. I, we've actually had multiple pillars, m- multiple clients who've, who've engaged with the salsa community. And I really love what you said, Jason, about having people to come back to, right? Having a community or, or coach or whoever, safety to come back to safety and accountability to say, yeah, I went, it was really scary, but I did it. It was kind of exciting. You know, I haven't been that close to that many people in a long time, sort of edgy. Here's what I'm working on now. It's, I I have, it's been one of the biggest joys to me of watching the men that we work with stretch and grow in different ways in, in this level two. So level one is get help. Level two is get connected to a community, to a community. And so for some people, that's their climbing gym, right? They love going to the gym and they meet people. And when you go regularly, you get to know the people at the desk. They have a, they, they're going to have a party for the upcoming holiday. You know, being around a community on a regular basis is, is elemental to human culture. It's what we've done forever. And when I say get connected to a community, that can be around a passion or an interest like salsa dancing or a climbing gym, things like that. 
It can also be a healthy religious community. Now, many of our men, many of the men we've worked with have come from toxic religious communities. And I'm not talking about that, but there are healthy religious communities. There are healthy faith-based communities. I'm thinking of Unitarian Universalist, uh, non-denominational. But there are places where you can get connected to small groups, right? Or even um, volunteer activities is another one. So um, volunteering at a community garden or tutoring program or a homeless shelter or um, what was one of the ones that we were looking at was working with a client the other day. We're looking at, um, oh, a food bank, a food bank. So one of my um, friend's mothers, she's in her seventies and she volunteers every Friday at the food bank for four to six hours. And so she drives around dropping off um, pallets and she has a sort of different collaborator. So they put two of them in the truck every time. So she's gotten to know a lot of people through that, through that just through that network, just showing up every week, doing a thing, showing up every week, doing a thing will connect you to community. And you got to be healthy enough to be able to do that, right? You have to have the energy to be able to do that, which, so it's all, it's all connected. Um, But another one of my friends is really involved in the pole dancing community. And for her, that's a primary source of connection. And because she's gotten close with women from her studio, They'll go to the beach on a weekend together. This person's having a going away party. This person's having a shower. This person's having a birthday. Just getting connected to any community like that leads to other social connections and um, love, really. I mean, I wasn't expecting to say that word, but it's true. Just like we are built to connect with each other. So if you hang out (laughs) in a similar space with other people enough times, and you're available and open, which brings us to point number one, then you're going to make friends. It's a thing that we do. It's a thing that human beings do. We get connected to each other. And then we're like, oh, I, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I could use some help moving this weekend. Are you free? Like you get, you get into community and um, yeah. Is there anything that you would sort of add to that piece? Um, yeah, just, you know, other places we see this showing up is, you know, the, the move towards co-working. So co-working spaces will often have kind of communal events. So you just go there enough, you'll start to see people and you can say, Hey, I noticed you wear that, you know, Pearl Jam shirt, you've ever seen shows. And then suddenly you have, you know, a connection there. Um, CrossFit is a really big one. I know for a lot of men, um, because it is and what's unique about CrossFit is it's communal. Right? You don't work out alone. I think it's one of the major reasons it's so powerful and sticky and popular these days. Um, all the AA programs, you know, I just want to point out probably the most powerful thing about them is the relational aspect of sitting in group, having a sponsor, sponsoring someone else. It's bringing that relational field online, which is often, you know, the the, the medicine for all kinds of addictions. Um, obviously men's groups, certainly one I'll talk about of getting into that kind of, um, container can be really powerful and, you know, just becoming a regular certain places, you know, it's a little old school these days, but, uh, you know, I had coffee shop where I got to know people over time. Um, again, it's about that consistency as you get in there that can lead to, um, some strong connections over time. And the last one I do want to mention, um, cause this was a big part of our life for a while is if you're in a city check out authentic relating communities, um, which are going to be communities explicitly about connection um, that are getting more and more popular, I think, because there's just this deep need right now. 
Yes. And I would say prioritize the events or spaces where you can go on a regular basis. So community gardens, places where it's like, yes, we have volunteers every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever their hours are. Pick a time and a day and go regularly if you can, because that's really when we build community is when we're seeing the same people again and again. So you want to be prioritizing those kinds of activities. It really, really helps. Um, and uh, thinking of another one of our clients who's um, very into hiking and mountaineering, and he would go to mountaineering um, events and meetups and and sort of reg- with regularity. And then he kind of organized his own, right? And brought some people together around hiking a specific place he wanted to go. And he was glowing when he described it. It's like, oh, I generated connection. I generated community. And for for this man, he had been experiencing a lot of loneliness. So the contrast between that was, yeah, really just special to witness. So I think that's something that I, I've really come to, to value is just when we do put attention on shifting our lives, our lives shift. So we don't have to stay in a certain state. We're not stuck, no matter how much we feel like we are stuck. We don't, we don't have to stay stuck. And you and I have witnessed countless men become unstuck and start moving and being excited about life again from places of deep, deep darkness. I mean, the deepest darkness you can really experience as a human and coming out of that. So it's possible. Um, okay. And then point number three, very close to my heart, which is um, a way of bringing connection into your life is consider co-living. So the co-living movement is still growing and there's lots of ways to do it. Um, there are, you know, structured communities. There are, there's sort of like putting a house together. Like I've done for a lot of my life, like get, get some people together and co-live in a house. Um, you can get a bigger house. You know, I think this is, can be an intimidating concept, but I know that, you know, some of our men have, have made shifts in terms of their living environments specifically to have more connection. And this includes, you know, co-living for me can also include sort of moving closer to people that you care about. Um, I'm thinking of, um, one of the things that I've often, uh, wanted to help create is, actual properties where there are multiple structures. So, you know, one person is in an airstream and then there's a yurt and then there's, but then there's a big farmhouse or whatever it is so that we can, we can live a little bit more simply in a different way and have a lot more connection available to us. Because if you're in the airstream and people are like, Hey, we're putting a movie on, you know, in the, in the farmhouse, you just walk out and across the yard and you're there and it it reduces a lot of friction. So be open to that possibility, be open to co-living and it doesn't need to be elaborate. It can just be co-living, you know, getting a place with a friend or two, but just being open to that possibility, I think is, is pretty powerful. And there's a lot more structures coming online as we're, as we're sort of starting to get wise to the fact that this is a huge, huge deal. This is a huge thing. This is a huge issue, but I think just being open to it and and available for the possibility of co-living is um is tremendous because even just a few meals a week with someone is better than none right every little part makes a difference and this isn't about co-living but i would just throw it out there that they did a study uh, about they they did a study on commuters 
And these were folks that were doing a commuter rail somewhere on the East Coast in the that Northeast corridor. And they had them predict, you know, do you think that you'll be happier or less happy if you speak to the um, the commuter next to you kind of thing? They had them sort of predict connecting with someone versus not. And most people said, oh, no, I'm going to be happier reading my newspaper or scrolling my phone or just doing my own thing. And then they they had they had commuters actually talk to people, right? They had people get interaction and, and, and have a chat 10 to 15 minutes, no more than that, not very long. And they were consistently happier when they connected with someone. So I think that co-living isn't exactly related to this, but I'm throwing it out there because it's something that I've also noticed in our men is that as our men have grown and shifted and transformed and kind of opened up in general and become more comfortable with themselves, there have been more micro interactions that feel feel good, feel human, feel connected. And those add up, right? Those add up. Those small moments during our day are not only a way that we can feel fed ourselves, but they are a way we can feed others. Because I think that's something that I forget a lot of the time. I think a lot of us do is if we're having a lonely experience, a lot of the people in the room we're in are also having that lonely experience, right? Even if we're quote unquote, just at CVS, Like there are a shitload of lonely people in the world. I mean, those statistics were alarming at the beginning. You know, 44% of men feel lonely all the time. Like that's a lot of people a lot of the time. So I think that the spirit of openness and the spirit of connection to serve others is another way that we can kind of get our needs met at the same time and generate more wholeness in the world. Yeah. Any comments about that? Um, I think we're going to start to see more structures like this just emerge. And, you know, if you look outside the U.S., you do see a lot of them already existing in terms of how towns and villages and uh, so many things are are structured. And, you know, I think that's a big part of the um, work abroad for a lot of people is, yeah, it's cool. You get to go somewhere nice and fun. But there are also places that where people tend to go, they're structured around community. Just because, you know, if they're an older part of the world, there weren't there cities that were um, created before there were cars. So streets are the size of humans. And when you walk on a street the size of a human, you meet other humans. Like this is just stuff we see all over the place. And that however you can get these little um, bursts, like you said, you know, whether it's being the one to talk on a train or, yeah, just getting your roommate or setting up, you know, just some structures in your week of, yeah, it's Friday night, dinner night, right? Or movie night or whatever that might be, where you can kind of start to create some regular structures um, for your friends or community. Or as I often tell guys, if, like you said, if you're feeling lonely and you wish something existed, there's other people that are lonely wishing that thing existed. And so one of the greatest things you can do, you know, when you've got some help and are feeling a little more energized is lead it, create it. Put the flag in the ground. Yeah, I'm starting a hiking club or I'm starting this or I'm starting movie night, whatever that might be. And then you just start inviting people, right? You see who comes who comes, and it takes time, but it's such a valuable thing. You know, we had one client I remember who, um, right, was going to pub trivia night and he was getting a lot of community there. And then he was like, wait, why don't I just host pub trivia night and became the host and his community exploded even more because then he was kind of the guy that everyone sees every week. And, you know, oh yeah, that was a funny joke. And, you know, people coming up to him and all that kind of stuff. So it was a great example of he kind of stepped in um, 
to to take you to the next level. I really appreciate what you just said too, because as I'm going to read a quote from the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, our epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. Our relationships are a source of healing and well-being hiding in plain sight, one that can help us live healthier, more fulfilled, and more productive lives. And the reason I thought of that hidden in plain sight is um, a while ago I, I did, um, yeah, I had a connection with a friend where every Tuesday night I went over to her place and we watched an episode of a show. We picked a show and we were watching every week. And I think the show was only 30 or 40 minutes, but we connected for like two hours. But the regularity of it, right? Every Tuesday I go to her place and we do this thing. The regularity of it gave me something to look forward to during the week. It was a, you know, it was a place I knew I was going to get connection and good conversation. And it was fun. It's fucking fun. Like, I feel like so many of us are missing fun in our lives. That's a whole other episode. I'm genuinely thinking of doing an episode with the author of a book called fun. Uh, I feel like the subtitle should be, are you having enough of it? (laughs) But but, um, yeah, there's something about hidden in plain sight, right? The connections that we already have in our lives. If you think of it like a garden, cultivating those is really important. Bringing in new ones is important as well. But if you do have, you know, some connections in your life already, making some of those more regular you know, I actually just instituted that with a, a friend of mine who has a family, right? She has, she's married with children. She, she's quite busy. They're young. They don't have a lot of time. So I go over there once a week, help a little bit with the kids, have dinner with them. We watch a show. And the, and again, the regularity really helps because otherwise we get busy. People's lives are busy and they're not, you know, they're, they're sort of underwater trying to manage their life. And I'm kind of out here a little bit more like lonely with lots more time kind of thing. Um, so I think that's something that, that can help is sort of see what social connections already exist in your world and, and, and cultivate them, like fan the flames, figure out a way to make it regular every week, right? Somehow. Um, cause it really does make a big difference. It really does. And having it on the books, it's, it's, a, it's something you can plan around everything. Everything helps. Um, So I think we're going to start to wrap here, unless there's anything else that you wanted to cover about that last section. No, no, I think that's beautiful. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just want to say that, um, whatever experience you're having is valid. Um, a lot of us will go in and out of, of this experience of loneliness and, um, it really is something that we need to put more attention on as modern humans than we used to. We didn't, you know, when we were living in the tenement buildings in New York City, we had a lot of community. We had a lot of poverty. We had a lot of problems, but we also had a lot of community. Um, when we lived in villages, we were part of a network of human beings, whether you were single or widowed or a small child, whoever, we were all working together all the time. And that's really how we were meant to live. So we as modern humans have to do more work to be able to get back to that sense of community and togetherness and belonging. And it is effort and it is worth it. And it has tons of positive health outcomes. So um, the last quote that I would, yeah, just leave you with is the good life is built with good relationships. And that's one of the scientists from the long, longest longitudinal study ever done in the United States following um, yeah, a group of men 
They brought actually their spouses in. They brought women in as study subjects over the course of time. That was over an 80-year study. And what they found more than anything was that healthy relationships were correlated with healthy with health outcomes far more than anything else, far more than drinking, smoking, all of the sort of physical health that the biggest predictor of, of positive health outcomes was love, was the quality of our relationships and how much time we spend with people that we love. So yeah, if you are interested in our work, you can go to evolutionary.men slash apply. If some of what we talked about here resonated for you and you're ready to do the work and you're ready to get support and you're ready to transform and you want to get unstuck and do it in community, because that's really, that's really how it's done. Then you can go to evolutionary.men slash apply. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can um, support us on Patreon. So Dear Men Podcast Patreon, and you get access to our live monthly Q&A if you join at a $10 a month level or more. And our Q&A for this month for June is next week. So if you join by, I think, next next Tuesday, you can join that, um, that group of people. And we will see you next time.